0: Welcome everyone, this is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health, and today we are honored to be joined by Dr. Dietrich Klinghart, who is a longtime mentor of mine and helped me understand some of the basics of natural medicine many decades ago. So uh, welcome and thank you for joining us,
1: Thanks, Joe. It's an honor to be here.
0: So uh, for those who don't know who you are, maybe you can give a brief history of your
1: training and then we'll go to some other. All right, well, I went to medical school in Germany. I'm actually born in Berlin. I'm a real Berliner and then went to medical school. And after medical school for three years, I worked on a thesis, which at the time I wasn't sure, but it actually became very important because the subject was how the autonomic nervous system communicates with the immune system. At the time, nobody wanted to take that on, and so <laughs> I got an award for it. And so, y- you know, when other people do residency, I did a residency in surgery, but only for two years. Um, and so then... normal the uh, residency
0: is like eight years or something, six, something crazy, six or eight years. Or yeah,
1: years. yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I, after I completed my thesis and defended it successfully, um, I spent two and a half years in India uh, working uh, at a medical center there where I really gained a lot of experience, uh, especially regards to, to parasites and infections. So that became sort of my my passion all the, all the way through. And then, you know, I spent almost a year in England um, apprenticing with a wonderful man, James Syriaxe, was the father of non-invasive orthopedic medicine, um, the the prolotherapy he had pioneered, and the many injection techniques and many manipulative techniques, and so that became part of my you know, arsenal of things. And then I moved to uh, to the U.S. and you know, passed my exams, and I've been here uh, almost 40 years, you know. I think, thirty. I haven't counted 35 years. Well, you split your time.
0: You're not exclusively in the U.S. You're also in Germany and London.
1: Yeah, the the last few years, I also practiced in England and Switzerland. I have a uh, license in Switzerland where I started seeing patients. Um, We managed, this is, I think, interesting, uh, my group that I'm sort of involved with or supervising, we managed to change the constitution in Switzerland, where alternative medicine becomes the birthright of every Swiss citizen, and cannot be um, denied by any authority. Uh, to speak of, Yeah, you and know, that includes homeopathy, neurotherapy, acupuncture, uh, all the healing techniques, hands-on healing techniques, and so. It's the only country on the planet where complementary medicine or alternative medicine uh, is the birthright of every citizen. And so um, when we managed to do that, I made sure I get a license in Switzerland as a um, escape place, as possible escape route from the forces that sometimes are very obstructive here.
0: Have you had any recent experiences with the federal regulators in the United States?
1: Uh, No, um, I've sort of have been dodging a few bullets, but not in the recent years. It's been peaceful. And I have to say the state of Washington has been very generous to me on the different issues that may have come up over the, I'm here uh, in Washington state over 20 years, and so nothing serious has come up. So I'm, I'm very happy about that.
0: Great. So um, you're known for a number of different areas uh, and people come to see you from all over the world. Uh, the, most of who have seen a large number of other clinicians before seeing you. Um, certainly Lyme disease is one of your uh, specialties and neurodegenerative diseases. And I'm, I'm wondering what the, uh, the current range or the most common diseases that people are currently seeing you for.
1: Well, um, let's start with toxicity. So I have a very good friend, uh, Dr. Richard Strauber, who is the main um, toxicologist in Germany. And he developed the apheresis as a treatment. It's a blood washing procedure where you filter out the dirt from the blood. And then uh, because the toxins in there are concentrated, um, you can analyze them uh, with the affordable lab methods and so using the same toxicology test 10 years ago he found on average in the population uh, 20 uh, toxins over the threshold of of detection in just 10 years that number has gone up to over 500 Mm. which is a shocking number and he's actually just about to publish uh, this research he did the research on 1200 patients Um, So it's one of the largest toxicology studies and of course the the leader in in the toxins is aluminum and uh, barium and lithium and strontium, these are the things uh, in the geoengineering mix that sort of rained down on us. And so because of that and, and many of these toxins are really specifically mitochondrial toxins um, the you know you know I was always big on detox, but detox now is no longer like a hobby of mine. It's a survival strategy for everybody. And when we you know you and I wrote this beautiful paper uh, almost 20 years ago <laughs> on how to use natural agents for for detox and those issues have become much, much more prominent. And and basically, the old theory has held true. If you contaminate the body with man-made toxins, those are stored not everywhere, but in certain body compartments, they're compartmentalized. And in those body compartments that reach a certain threshold of toxicity, the immune system loses control over the microbes that are in that area. And these become the the areas where the microbes are domiciled. Yeah, whether it's Bartonella or Lyme or Babesia or herpes viruses or so, they're not everywhere at the same time. They're very strictly set up housekeeping in certain body compartments. And so and, and that cannot be distinguished between uh, the toxicity and the infections that they go together it's a package deal and um we you know recently you know since 20 years i've been harping on lyme disease and developed treatments that do not involve antibiotics because that is an absolute mistake to treat lyme with antibiotics That i would exempt the the fresh tick bite you know there is a place for antibiotics but for chronic Lyme disease, there's absolutely no place for uh, for treating with antibiotics. You know, we know too much about the microbiome now and how sensitive mm-hmm. um, the structures are in us. And so, the uh, the latest development in the last two years has have been, you know, my my work with Judy Mikovits, who mm-hmm. she was part of uh, our think tank. You know, that we had way back in 2006, 2007 and try to alert us then at the fact that we all uh, embedded in our DNA are retroviruses and that certain environmental conditions um, disable our mechanisms to silence those viruses and they've become active. And really in the last 10 years, all hell has broken loose with that. You know, retroviruses, the most... Well-known one is HIV, but there's hundreds of others, and they're all. uh, Most of them are immunosuppressive, or uh, I'd like to prefer the term immunodisturbing. So some aspects of the immune system are upregulated, others are downregulated, and that makes us hugely vulnerable um, for Lyme spirochetes for yeah, you know, mycoplasma for Bartonella. We completely have lost control over the microbial environment that was always there. You know, we the human condition has developed against the backdrop of a pretty hostile environment. You know, first every dinosaurs and uh, tigers and and whatever you know hostile creatures, um, but really the main hostility that we've encountered was from the microbial realm, and we slowly, slowly developed against the backdrop of parasites and of the microbes, and our immune system had to be ahead of the invasive forces, and so we've lost control now over that, the last 10 years, and that is, um, in its nature, it's very, very serious.
0: Yeah, yeah, I had a chance to interview Dr. Mikavits, uh a few months ago. And it was, I don't know that we posted it yet, but it was an interesting interview. And I read her book on the uh, the retroviruses. It's it's, it's interesting. It's almost like a, a novel or a, a spine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She wrote it. So, uh, but I want to go back to detox because that was a pretty uh, uh, bold statement, you know, that uh, increase. And that increase is, was from... 10 to 500 in the last? No,
1: from 20 to over 500, 500. in 10 years. Okay, so that's uh, so a, dramatic, a dramatic increase. Okay. Uh,
0: so I'm wondering, uh, and that was done in the blood?
1: Yeah, well, the, the aphoresis is like this. You, you have two intravenous needles, one in one arm and the other in the other arm. Mm-hmm. And from one arm, the blood is taken, put through a filter system, and then the filtered blood is re-injected in the other arm. And this uh, goes on over three hours, and so the entire blood volume is washed several times. Okay. And um, this goes through thousands of miles of little capillaries to filter out uh, the gunk. And so, and then what you're left with is uh, this filtrate, uh, it's called Iluat, and the Iluat, uh, the, the trouble in toxicology is, that the uh, there is really no dose dependency between a toxin in the blood and your uh, reactions that you have to it. Tiniest amounts can cause huge reactions, and smaller and larger amounts of some other things may not cause a reaction. And so um, the, the the toxicology exams, you know, that are affordable. Have all a certain threshold? You have a certain concentration uh, in whatever you're testing before it can be detected. And so, um, and you know, he used the same exact toxicology test uh, that he used ten years ago when he found 20 toxins on average over the threshold. Mm-hmm. And this uh, this last uh, study on 1,200 patients showed over 500, and that's an exponential increase that is not, is not compatible with life. You know, I have to say that very clearly that I'm quoting people more intelligent than me. This is not no longer compatible with life, the, the inner condition. And so um, detoxification, you know, using the different methods that we have, is an absolute necessity to survive this absolutely insane time.
0: Yeah, and I want to go into some of the details, but just a quick question first. Aren't most of those toxins fat soluble? And I was just confused why they would, I mean, I, I know there's some equilibrium in the blood, but most of them would be the fat. And, and that's part of the problem because you almost have to do a fat biopsy to really get a good analysis of what's going on.
1: Yeah, well, the, you know, the lab of Dr. Lasseter in Texas has been shut down. Um, that was the lab we commonly used for the fat analysis. And it's very, very hard to, you know toxicology is not nurtured in this country mm-hmm. and so and you know but there's other toxin there is thimerosal you know which prides itself in being water soluble and glyphosate is water mm-hmm. soluble you know so two of the major toxins are water soluble and they travel very quickly um in compartments other than the brain or the fatty tissues you know they um like to get stuck in the kidneys and in the lungs and in the bones um you know so the the fat soluble toxins you know, is pretty much all the benzene derivatives the insecticides pesticides herbicides um they like to settle in the fatty tissue which makes them potent neurotoxins you know because the your brain everybody's brain is mostly just fat mm. and um uh, that's sort of where things settle. And so uh, it requires, both of them require different methods of uh, detoxification.
0: Okay, so what are some of your favorite approaches? For, I mean, I guess there's two components here. One is the everyday person, because this is an exposure that virtually all of us have and mm. should be doing on a, on a regular basis if we seek to avoid these diseases in the future, especially the neurodegenerative diseases. Uh, so um, I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, our paper 20 years ago was on chlorella and, and I've mm-hmm. been a long fan of that and I take about 15 grams a day, which is mm-hmm. about 50 tablets, I think. And then yeah. uh, near-infrared sauna. So what what do you like or do you recommend that is a good strategy for most people to consider?
1: Yeah, the, the you know, there is thousands of toxins. It's estimated that every one of us as well over 20,000 different chemicals in us um, that have to be carefully separated from each other so they don't react with each other um, and so but amongst all those uh, there's two toxins that have emerged as the key culprit and that's glyphosate and aluminum and they actually work very nicely together to destroy our brains and so Let's first talk about glyphosate. So um, the uh, glyphosate is an analog of the amino acid glycine and attaches in the body in places where we actually need glycine. Now, glycine we don't have enough of because glycine is part of many detox enzymes and they're all overworked. And in the process of that, glycine is used up. And there is, for most of us, not enough in the nutrition to defend us against taking up glyphosate. Glyphosate is pretty much in every food now that we that we eat, even organic food. I'll get into that in a moment. And so we try to saturate the the system with uh, glycine. It's like a teaspoon, a flat teaspoon twice a day. It tastes like sugar. Um, it's and a it's lot very well. glycine, a teaspoon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I take, I take
0: a half a teaspoon. No, I think yeah,
1: No, I take a eighth of a teaspoon twice a day, but yeah, yeah, so but what like you, yeah, but what you will see if you take the larger amount um immediately, the glyphosate in the urine goes up, yeah, that's what we want, oh, we yeah, want yeah. the glyphosate in the urine, we don't want it in your brain, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. so at least for a while we use high doses of glycine, there's no no issues with it, there's no problems with it, and the other one. Um, that has been published as a, admittedly only a chicken study that shows that humic acid and fulvic acid um, can completely clean up the organ systems of a chicken. So, you know, chicken feed is full of glyphosate and so chicken absorb uh, glyphosate and it travels to the brain, to the liver, to the bones, uh, to pretty much every organ system And it was a surprise that humic acid and fulvic acid um, can take that out very quickly. And so uh, we use a product from from BioPure called Matrix Minerals um, that has a very concentrate of those in it, and basically I recommend every time people eat, (laughs) no matter it's organic or not, to take a squirt of that with the meal. that is very well tolerated and works absolutely beautiful. So that's pretty much it. You know, glyphosate, in our experience, uh, does mobilize poorly with sauna therapy. You know, sauna therapy is for the fat soluble things, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but not so much for the water soluble ones. That's pretty much it. And then let's talk about the aluminum. Well,
0: well let's go back Sorry. to the uh, glycine again, because you recommend a pretty high dose of a
1: teaspoon. It's, uh, let's see. It's four grams oh. a, a flat teaspoon.
0: About, I thought it might be more than that, but anyway, so four grams. How long do you recommend that dose? It's certainly not indefinitely.
1: Well, um, really, it depends on what the eating habits were of a person. Okay. If uh, let's let's kind of go back to that, you know. So in the U.S., the uh, organic food has eighty percent of the same glyphosate content as non-organic food there was as far as i remember measured with whole foods organic food which may not be a representative but we have a way also of measuring the uh, geoengineering clouds on on the sky and there's not only aluminum in there and uh, strontium and barium but there's also glyphosate in there so it's rain down on us um there's retroviruses in it and uh, glyphosate you know so we had that examined, and so that's why uh, even organic fields, you know, get rained on, and uh, the ambient air, you know, the metals and things that are sprayed up in the higher regions of the atmosphere don't stay there; they come down and they settle on the fields and on the bodies of water on the planet. The whole oceans are covered with it, and so it's a big disaster. It's a military program. That pretty much exists outside the democratic institutions. There's no oversight um, from it, and it's 42 countries are doing it, and it's a, it's a big mess. And so you can't really get away from unless you have a greenhouse. But even you have to water the plants, and now the nanoparticles make it pretty much through all the conventional filter systems, and so. Um, if you water your plants, you know, you've got nanoparticles in there, little tiny plastic beads spiked with aluminum and other things. And so, and glyphosate that's oh, yeah. it only appeared in the last two or three years. And now, I, so, just,
0: I just recently reviewed the, uh, tux, toxicology report, not the, the, well, the water report from my local community and hmm. the number one toxin in there is glyphosate. I mean, by two or three orders of magnitude, it was
1: yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of shocking, and you know, I'm a great fan of the work of Stephanie Seneff mm-hmm. who has really like single-handedly exposed um, this particular issue. And even though there is thousands of other toxins, you know, glyphosate really takes the number one uh, position. And I think everybody alive, you know, uh, there was a survey done recently on the health of America. And uh, out of the 50 countries that were surveyed, in terms of general health, the U.S. were in position number 49. It, you know, in spite of your teaching, you know, I mean, I know you have had a huge influence on the health of this country, but it's still too small a group, you know, mm-hmm. uh, however many million people that may be, but we need need more, you know, and the, the child mortality, um, uh, the U.S. is in position number 29, you know, behind Mexico and other <laughs> other places that we consider inferior to the U.S. And so that's entirely been linked to the use of glyphosate. You know, it's sprayed on the fields, and because it's water soluble, it washes down with the rain, gets in the rivers, and gets distributed widely. The you know, oceans are full of it, and it doesn't uh, disintegrate. Uh, for a very, very long time. So, that you know, that's what we do. We do the, the humic acid, fulvic acid, that's peat extract, basically, you know, from the high moors. Sure. And we do the glycine for a while, um, and we monitor the uh, the urine output of glyphosate, and then when that slows down, in some people it's two months, and other people it's six months. Then we back off on the glycine and go to a smaller dose of that. Um, Okay, and then the aluminum. Now, the aluminum is far more sinister. Yeah, so aluminum can exist in the body in a one-plus form, two-plus, and three-plus form, like iron. Um, And uh, Stephanie Seneff has shown that uh, aluminum, when it gets in the matrix, the extracellular space, completely changes the, the voltage on the cell walls, mm-hmm. the voltage-gated uh, channels, and has a profound effect on the microstructure, the, the microskeleton of our matrix, and basically uh, impairs the, the receptors that we have on the cell wall, hormone receptors, neurotransmitter receptors, whatever else we have, insulin receptors. They all get messed up by alumina is a really, really strong effect, stronger than any other toxin, and um, Stephanie Senov shows that you know glyphosate is a chelating agent, and so when you have glyphosate in the food, it binds all the trace minerals, and they are no longer available for absorption, so it, it depletes us of trace minerals, however, there's one exception. And that's aluminum. It works like a shuttle agent for aluminum. So it binds aluminum, takes aluminum uh, across the, the gut wall uh, into the tissues and distributes it wildly and you know, yeah, distributes it in, in a chaotic way in the system. You know, the thyroid, the, the thyroid epidemic um, that we are witnessing. Everyone's hypothyroid. That's glyphosate in the thyroid. You know, the leaky gut is the glyphosate in the food, but paired with aluminum. So aluminum, unfortunately, or aluminum, as we say in England or Germany, um, aluminum, unfortunately, as being a metal, has a uh, affinity for nervous system. So it ends up in the brain, it ends up in the spinal cord, in the enteric nervous system of the gut, and um, it blocks a lot of um, healthy vital functions in in our system and um, to get <clears throat> to get aluminium out of the system is a little bit of an art you know so chris exley mm-hmm. uh, he's the main aluminum researcher in England who's a friend of mine he um has found that silica is the main um, ingredient that you need. You need to increase your silica intake. Now, he's, in my opinion, a bit misguided because he thinks just drinking Volvic water uh, will do it. Well, Volvic water in the U.S. as we have it is in plastic bottles. Mm -hmm. So it's full of um, stalates and uh, other things that come with plastic. So it's not acceptable here. In England, you can get Volvic water in glass bottles, which... May be uh, an acceptable option, you know. So, but to increase silica, we we use um, first of all we use different herbs. And interesting enough, one of the the highest silica containing herbs is cilantro. Mm. And Omura did a, a study, you know, 20 years ago, where he showed uh, that he could decrease the aluminum content in an animal model very very quickly by giving just uh, cilantro extract. So. Horsetail is the other well known herb that's high in, uh, in, in silica. And we use a, a product from Belgium here yeah, that's um, uh, liposomal silica, that's a biosil. Um, so that's one part. But also, citric acid has been shown to mobilize aluminum. And that's you know, basically lemon juice. So we recommend people um, make a bottle of water in the morning and squeeze a lemon in it and drink it throughout the day. Um, malic acid uh, is another one that's published um, that's apple cider vinegar but you can buy now malic acid in capsule form um, or use magnesium malate you know as your favorite form of uh, magnesium uh, that combines some of the benefits and you know for the medical dogs, we use desferal it's an injectable that's injected once a week subcutaneously it's an excellent um, Detoxer. However, there are some questions whether it crosses the blood brain barrier or not. Silica does, but desperate mm. probably not. But you can debulk the aluminum in the body with the once a week injection. So those are, you know, sort of my my top of the list two things. And the rest then is the fat solubles, you know, which really. Well,
0: before we jump to the fat side, we'll just finish up on aluminum because that is an important one. So when you're supplying the body with silica, either horsetail, cilantro, or Biosil, um, and it, abstract, it takes out the tissues, how do you, does it, is it in equilibrium with the brain, or do you need a special transport to remove it out of the brain?
1: Because that's where a lot of the well, problems... Well, the, the biosil is liposomal, so...
0: Okay, so that gets... Certainly it
1: certainly crosses the, the blood-brain barrier, and um, we. See remarkable improvements over time in, in brain function. when um, me do it. By the way, I've, I forgot to mention you, know, but this long been known that when you do a metallurgic exam on various cancers, especially uh, breast cancer, or it's always full of mercury and aluminum, and they both have a devastating synergistic effect. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, thanks. And so, you know, maybe uh, the sources here, so the the main source of aluminum is the ambient air, Mm -hmm. right above us, but it makes it in every body of water. And uh, for example, in Germany, uh, there was um, Angela Merkel ordered that about mm, five, six years ago, that all the water stations had to update the filtration equipment so it can take nanonized aluminum out you know this is very very well known in the water science that we have a problem with that you know and um there is, it's kind of forbidden to talk about where the aluminum comes from but um every air report you know is like hundreds of times more than it should be and every water report then is hundreds of times more um however it, uh, maybe also to say this, um, in the U.S. we do not have a lab that can um, demonstrate the the nanonized aluminum. You yeah, know, so um, nanonized aluminum is in very very small amounts, very very toxic, but um, it's below the threshold that is given to the labs where they can report it. And so we use uh, the OligoScan. You know, you probably know that one. Um, Consistently demonstrates the high levels of aluminum in our patients.
0: Will you be able to use a RO filter, or you require a distillation to remove the nanonized aluminum from the water?
1: You know, uh, honestly, um, I don't know. Uh, there is uh, the question that even distillation, um, that the, the even distilling it, uh, the nanoparticles make it across you know, with the vapor mm. and uh, with. Uh, r o the uh, you know O o doesn 't clean up everything right um, n- even with fluoride right. you know yeah. yeah even fluoride is difficult to get out and by the way, there is also a synergy between fluoride and aluminum they're both you know fluoride takes aluminum into the pineal gland um and so we have an absolute disaster here you know in the u s with the fluoridation of drinking water the um Persistent contrails, the spraying of aluminum on the sky, and the glyphosate in the food—it's the perfect storm to cripple the the population, to get the vitality down, to get uh, the children's IQ down. It's all published, you news. Know, they're not my ideas, and it's it, America is not the country that it was when I moved here. It was beautiful when I moved here, 35 years ago. It was a gorgeous country, and so it has sort of committed some form of Suicide, you know.
0: Well, you know the suicide. I don't know if it's suicide. It's probably problem more likely homicide because people are doing it themselves. I mean, these these uh, challenges are forced upon people. It's not something they electively choose. Yeah. All right. So you were I interrupted you earlier. We we're talking about the fat soluble toxins.
1: Yeah, so the fat soluble toxins in our work take uh, second seat to these other two, and mm-hmm. um, and I believe you know sort of that uh, the mix of sauna detox mm-hmm. and uh, putting good binders on board is the solution mm-hmm. of that. You know, one thing that's overlooked uh, in the U.S. You know, when whenever you talk about detox, people mention the kidneys, they mention the liver but the largest detox organ in the body is the small intestine. It has a filtrating surface of two tennis courts. And so what's overlooked with sauna therapy is when you actually start sweating in the sauna, yes, the two square meters of skin start sweating, but there is hundreds of square meters of small intestine that also start sweating. They start hugely increasing the output and exchange, circulating toxins in the blood into the fiber of the the food, and that's the the fiber in the food is a binder, but it's not a very efficient binder, and so uh, we like, you know, just like you do, have people take regular doses of chlorella, um, and maybe some other binders. We like Eclonia cava, that's a brown algae. We like enterose gel. That's methylated silica, uh, the, 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 and there's zeolite. You know, so this would be the top four. We like to load the system with that, and then when you do sonotherapy, you're sweating out internally a lot of toxic crap that's bound up by the binders, and then on the way down you don't reabsorb it. Like that's what happens if you don't have a binder on board, and so. I, I do feel by doing that regularly um and th- watching the bowel transit time you know that should be twenty four hours or less that means if you eat something it should you know that or if you swallow something that's not digestible, it should come out on the other end within twenty four hours and we have some uh patients you know where we measured the transit time and it was like thirty six days you know or uh you know twenty days or so, and then. Uh, those people uh, are not able to excrete through the small intestine um, and they're really doomed. And so that becomes a priority then to get the digestion going. And that's mostly a um, parasite issue. You know, that that is sort of my other hobby um, to, to diagnose and treat uh, parasites.
0: Are there any uh, sort of shotgun all-purpose strategies to address some of the parasites that we uh, invariably seem to be exposed to.
1: In biology, it is known that uh, many parasites, especially worms, but even candida, even fungi, um, absorb multiple of their body weight and toxins into their uh, coat, into their cell wall, or into their, their skin, so to say. And uh, for example, like many worms, are able to concentrate lead 300 fold compared to the tissues of the host and in the proper word of saying that is that the parasite load of a particular person is a bioindicator for the toxicity that this person lives in you know, so uh, for example if you want to study uh, the uh, pollution levels in the ocean between Hawaii and Alaska where the whales travel, um, rather than taking a thousand probes of water and examining it, they simply collect the poop of a whale once. Mm-hmm. And if it's, uh, and there's a certain proportion, you know, and the more parasites are in there, the more toxic is the ocean that the animal swims in. Now, bring that back to us, There is an incredible increase in parasite burden in the population uh, now that goes directly together what I said before, that the amount of toxins in our connective tissue has dramatically gone up. And the way uh, the U.S. responded to that, that basically um, there's not a single lab that can diagnose the parasite burden. Um, So we have a couple of ridiculous tests that may show Um, some superficial bugs in the system but we've had people that complete negative parasite tests and they're pooping out a tapeworm a 16-foot tapeworm well where was the tapeworm basically we don't have a test for that and so we use ART my autonomic response testing and we respond to what we find with uh, using different cocktails of antiparasitic drugs and uh, that has been so rewarding. You know, every Lyme, chronic Lyme patient is also full of parasites. And if you don't address those, uh, it's been shown that the worms in a Lyme patient themselves are infected with Lyme spirochetes. So uh, if you do antibiotic treatment that doesn't harm the parasites, um, the, paras- the Lyme spirochetes simply retreat into the worms, wait until you're gone with your antibiotics, and then they're hatching back out. So. Uh, The the teaching is to treat from large to small. So in a chronically ill patient, always assume that there's parasites, treat them and then kind of slowly uh, go down. So in terms of treatment, the uh, understanding that parasites are loaded with toxic metals and other toxins, you do not want to explode the parasites in the liver Mm-hmm. or in the brain or wherever they have strayed. You want to seduce them to leave those tissues and come into the gut uh, where they can be safely expelled. And so we work with the Gubarev protocols. You know, These are enema uh, protocols uh, developed by Russian scientists um, to start with. And then when there is no more stuff coming out, then we switch to the oral agents. And for the lay people, we recommend the ozonated plant oils from BioPure. Yeah, there's a Rhizole Kappa and rhizol Gamma. They're designed as wonderful, powerful antiparasitic treatments um, that have enormous properties. Now, one word for the medical drugs that I think is important, that recently there's an incredible Increase in literature that shows that pretty much every medical antiparasitic can also be used for treating cancer, and I give you an example of that. You know, albendazole used to uh, a monthly treatment used to cost eighty bucks. Then the articles came out of cancer healings from it. Now it's twenty four thousand dollars a month. Went from eighty bucks to twenty four thousand dollars supply and demand welcome mm-hmm. to America you know so it's uh, uh, there's some shocking developments, but we use um, the antiparasitic drugs for the multipurpose drugs. you know th- it happens to be that the internal pathways of a cancer cell are very similar to the pathways of a parasite, and so um, it's a very, very good policy to start chronic treatment early on, you know, before attending to Lyme disease or mycoplasma to attend to the parasites. And this is what we find is the step in the U.S. that everybody overlooks because most people are, that don't have ART down, uh, they have to depend on the lab and the lab can only show what the lab is looking for. And, um, and this is, and the parasite are very, very deficient.
0: Yeah, and uh, certainly Dr. Simon, you does a lot of work in that area and I'm wondering in your experience a few things. One is if you find that the drugs are almost invariably required, the pharmaceutical drugs and do you find uh, a place for ozone therapy, either IV or what most patients can do at home, which is intrarectal or intravaginal if they're a woman?
1: Yeah, so we use all the we use all the tools, you know, but it's pretty clear that the old Hulda-Clark regime she was like the leader in the field you know, in the 90s to point us towards hey you know if you have cancer look at parasites if you're chronic fatigue look at parasites she was a wonderful leader in, in that field but her herbal remedies no longer are sufficient um, it can all be done with herbs but it's a lot of work and takes a long time you know and the uh, i tell you what the main issue The main issue with parasites is this. If you uh, under-treat a parasite, it means you use a dose of an herb or medical drug uh, that's not enough to kill it, but enough to make it sick, that parasite will put out a huge amount of biotoxins and make you really, really deathly ill. So the secret with parasite treatment is to come in high and strong, from the beginning, so these creatures cannot shoot back at you, mm. and that's what I've learned from Simon Hugh and from other. Uh, there is a wonderful German uh, parasitologist who who has been my my guide in this. It's a worldwide Western worldwide uh, phenomenon right now: is the increase in parasite related illness, and very rarely diagnosed because you know parasites come only out in the poop if the parasite is sick. Yeah, parasites do not show up that way. So you can, if you know, as long as they still live in the belly and the gut, uh, you can palpate and you can uh, get certain signs that make it likely that you get the right diagnosis. But unfortunately, the larval stages of many parasites stray through the lung and also end up in the brain. You know, just the psychosis is the, the name given for that larval stages of tapeworms in the brain. Uh, We see that all the time, kids that have seizures, most of the time it's that issue, you know, and they're easy to treat, you know, once you have your nose in it, but it's difficult to do it with the natural things. You know, we we find that um, the natural herbs uh, that are used are Good, and we use them in conjunction with the medical drugs. Now in terms of ozone therapy, um, of course we, you know we use ozone left and right and we actually prefer rectal ozone to the injection and we have a lot of our patients buy an inexpensive ozone machine and do rectal ozone uh, every day. I-, I tell you why that is a phenomenal effective thing. When I worked in India, I worked uh, with the leading parasitologist in India, and we did a study um, where we had a a rating scale of how ill people were, went from zero to 100, you know, there were 600 questions people had to fill out, plus some lab work, and so every, every one of our patients was rated on the scale from zero to 100. And then we did what's called the colonic count. That means we counted uh, we just used the same test that you use for uh, counting white blood cells in the blood smear. We did that uh, with the poop of patients, and we did what's called internationally the colonic count of anaerobes. So, and there was a linear relationship. The more anaerobes there were in the poop, the sicker the person was. Mm. And now, the treatment that we came up with at the time, well, we said, you know, why not put oxygen up there? We didn't have ozone available, so we just pumped oxygen up uh, the rear end. And it was very, very successful as a strategy to get people out of chronic illness. And so mm. um, and so I prefer that compared to the IV ozone. And I'll let you know why. You know, So uh, there's some studies um, that were done in Germany. When you inject ozone into the vein, it's only 10 inches up detectable and beyond that, it falls apart to oxygen. Uh, and so, any of the effects that we assign to ozone therapy intravenously are rarely um, caused by the ozone, it's caused by the oxygen. And there is a German piece of equipment that simply bubbles oxygen into the veins and then has better results than the ozone therapy. Now, hmm. I like ozone therapy and trigger points, I like it in joints. It's fantastic as a um, um, Anti-infectious agent, especially mm-hmm. for uh, anaerobic bugs, but it really has no effect on parasites and dental
0: infections too.
1: Dental infection, fantastic, you know, to inject it around the jaw mm-hmm. and to to clean out the the extraction sites. You know, with ozone has a fantastic. It also increases blood flow, and uh, when when you inject it locally, um, the, some of the great successes with that seem to be linked more to the uh, increased blood flow than the antimicrobial properties. And, mm-hmm. and, and you probably know, I mean, the, one of the key secrets in ozone therapy is when you inject ozone anywhere in the body, IV or, or in trigger points or wherever you put it, it elicits an antioxidative um, response by the body. You know, so when your genes have been asleep Uh, to create enough antioxidants, enough glutathione, enough melatonin, um, you just inject ozone in the area, it wakes up, uh, it's like an epigenetic influence that switches some, flips some switches, Mm. and your body starts creating more antioxidants. So paradoxically, you know, ozone is a strong pro-oxidant, but the healing response for many of its applications is actually antioxidative. There's a lot of research on that you know as far as I know most of it is German um, but there is you know increasingly use of this um, so in Germany it has been used since the turn of the last century since the early 1900s with a huge body of literature in German <laughs> mm-hmm. and so uh, now we have fortunately slowly things are changing we get more literature in English on that.
0: All right so a few follow-up questions on that the the dose, first of all, with, for the people who are doing it at home, is it like 30 seconds or so that it's in the rectum and then you remove, it? because you can't overdose on this. And
1: Yeah, no, uh, we use we use Longevity, that's a company in Vancouver, and they make these special plastic bags. You know, regular plastic bags melt with ozone. <laughs> so you fill this plastic bag and it's got the nozzle on it. You uh, put it up the anus and then squeeze the bag in, and that's it, and you pull it right out you know, pull the nozzle out, and uh, the the amount of ozone is very well tolerated. It doesn't trigger uh, people having to poop, so it's then absorbed uh, in the next few minutes or 15, 20 minutes um, through the the portal veins and the lymphatics um, and disappears into the, the system. But, you know, one of the precious things it does, it decreases the anaerobic count and creates an advantage for the aerobic bugs, which are the ones that you know, create butyrate and some of the other pressure, B vitamins and other, th- you know, there's a whole manufacturing pharmaceutical company in your colon. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. and, <laughs> you know, and that's tilted in your favor if you put ozone up there.
0: So aside from improving the antioxidant or decreasing oxidative stress through that mechanism, you're also gonna optimize your microbiome. For this absolutely, yes, good, good strategy. Well, thank you for that. And how and I, I, I'm uh, we discussed this in a previous podcast where you had, uh, highlighted the information about EMF and recommended it universally for everyone and ex- exposed some of the dangers that are coming, especially with 5G and the, the ones that are existing now. So, I'm wondering how you just comment briefly on. The integration of the EMF strategies into the parasites, the and the detox yeah. You talked about yeah, that. So
1: one thing that's often overlooked, you know, my friend Marco Rogero published on this, that actually the Wi-Fi um, damages the microbiome in us far more than it damages our own cells, and that of course has never been studied properly, because everybody looks at the cells, you know, and, and you know we know that. When you count the DNA, only 2% of what we see is our own DNA, and 98% of what's in our body is foreign DNA from the microbes. And they're severely damaged, many of them are severely damaged in resonance with the.
0: That would make sense because it's been documented clearly that it affects plants, insects, and animals. So why wouldn't it affect bacteria?
1: I know, and I think that is the most important issue, of course, of our time um, is the, uh, the fact that we're destroying not just the microbiome in us, but the microbiome of the earth. You know, so wherever there's cell phone reception, we know now that 80% of the insects have disappeared, 75% of the songbirds, and there's entirely... Uh, untrue what we're told is not the nicotinides and the the other you know insecticides they play a role but the big one is the wi-fi because we know in canada there's areas where they still spray insecticides uh, but there's no cell phone reception and the bees are completely well there (laughs) you know the, the the other insects are thriving and the songbirds are thriving so the, um, it's a Wi-Fi that is destroying life on the, on the planet, there's absolutely no question. And then, unfortunately, um, titanium and aluminum uh, in our system act like an antenna for the Wi-Fi. You know, there's a beautiful study is on, on amalgam, you know, so... Uh, when you have uh, an amalgam filling and you make a phone call on that side where the filling is, you evaporate uh, the, uh, the, the speed at which mercury is evaporated from the tooth multiple times. Mm. <laughs> so so we, you know, basically we, we hold the position that a body needs to be metal free in order to survive this crazy time and uh, you know the 2.4 gigahertz was selected for sinister reasons and the 5g isn't 5g it's 4.8g so it's just simply the doubling the frequency which was technically very easy to do um, and so and in general in medicine it's very well known when you have a damaging frequency and you use a higher octave from it it's exponentially more damaging um, than the original frequency so we have Heading for something there, but in terms of protection we um, you know you know we we recommend the building biology approach to shield the home uh, to shield the the windows um, if as a compromise, we use the sleep sanctuary it's so a basically a mosquito net over the bed um, we we're propagating the smart use of the stupid phone um, the uh, you know only texting and as far away from the body as possible. One phone call, one, um, I forgot it was, uh, I think a seven minute phone call activates the Epstein-Barr virus for many years. You know, that's published. One phone call activates Epstein-Barr for years, you know, and all of us have that virus in us. And so, yeah, if you want to have chronic fatigue, you know, that's a great recipe, so. but there is some internal protection that you can do. You know, the things published is tincture of rosemary, tincture of propolis. Those are the big ones. And there is a medical drug, an old malaria drug, which is protective. It's called Mepocrine. And so we use all those tools to protect uh, people internally. And you know, then there's protective clothing which I I know there's a discussion whether people should wear that or not. The definite answer is definitely yes. Anybody who actually sees patients, um, this is not, I don't want anybody's theory, you know, but people wear protective clothing, their health improves. So, and there is, you know, I know less EMF has clothing. I don't know if you have clothing at your company.
0: We're planning on doing it, but... uh, Mm and i certainly don't wear it when i'm in my home because i have really low radio frequency field exposures but when i travel I'm, i've sh- I, we were at a conference last week together and i forgot to show you i actually sewed i bought a sewing machine and learned how to use it
1: oh well cool
0: <laughs> and i created a singlet that i wear now when i travel so i'm kind of like my superman shield
1: <laughs> i'd love to see a video with you on the sewing machine <laughs> <laughs> this is a good
0: skill i think everyone should have that skill you know it takes took a long time to learn how to thread that needle, but you know I figured it out. So.
1: Yeah, no, <laughs> I admire you for that. You know, that <laughs> you never stop short of doing the right thing. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. So, but th- just one point on the, the shielding, though, uh, that typically works for below a little below a gigahertz to maybe eight gigahertz. Um, yeah, but this, it probably is not going to work for the point 5G concept in which would be like 30 gigahertz, 50 gigahertz or so. But the other issue is that it would exist now, and you're certainly aware of. And you had David Stetzer at your presentation earlier this year in New Jersey, is the dirty electricity with these high voltage transients, which typically are less far less than gigahertz. They're typically a hundred. Uh, one kilohertz to to one or a hundred kilohertz, you know, about one tenth of one giga, uh, gigahertz. So, and they supposedly capacitively couple far more effectively than the higher frequencies into the body. So, yeah. uh,
1: well, it, there's also the issue with the tetra network. You know, that's what the police is using and the ambulances. It's absolutely devastating. It goes through everything. You cannot shield uh, from that. So there's you know. It's limited, but the, the damage you know is cumulative. So whatever the um, the the exposures are uh, in 24 hours, the the damage accumulates. And you know we developed in Switzerland a dosimeter. You know that I'm going to get you. Um,
0: oh, it's right. Yeah. 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 So
1: where we can actually have uh, people wear this device and. You can plug it at the evening, you know, when you, before you go to bed in the computer and tells you exactly what you've been exposed to, how long, what network, what frequency. And uh, that's going to be uh, a game changer, you know, because we already know from the primary test that we did that we can uh, direct, there's a direct linear relationship between the exposure, the cumulative exposure to man made radiation and chronic illness. You know, there's a direct linear relationship. The more you're exposed to, the more ill you are. And so, and this is, um, has to be modified. When people are metal toxic, they concentrate um, radiation in them and so on, and then it goes up exponentially, you know. But in general, um, this is overlooked at how much chronic illness is directly the outcome of that. And then, you know, I mentioned before, if you put aluminum in the equation and the you know, the fuel that airplanes are using is still leaded. So the lead doesn't stay up there. <laughs> it comes down. And so we all have daily exposures, you know, of aluminum that and that settles in the tissues and makes us a living antenna for for Wi-Fi and Tetra and the the ambient uh electromagnetic fields and electric fields and the dirty electricity and so the this strategy should be this you know and i know you you're working on a book to give people guidance Mm -hmm. i think that's the most important book ever written um, where people learn how to minimize uh, exposures without giving up their life you know yeah, that's
0: the challenge because of the convenience you know the people are swapping convenience for health issues that they don't predict they don't anticipate will affect them it will uh, they'll somehow escape it because for whatever reason they're <laughs> just deluded belief but yeah. that's what they believe most people and I was in I was in that camp but for the most part until you uh, catalyze my consciousness yeah. under appreciating this at a deeper level so thanks
1: yeah, we, I mean, we learned that from the autistic kids, you know, th- just to say that, you know, we have two groups of autistic kids. we got the ones that get well and the ones that don't. And the ones that get well are the ones where the parents take my guidance and shield, you know. And it's just as clear like day and night. And it's shocking that there's not more known, you know, and this the obstacle in that, the group that doesn't do it, is usually the husband who is the obstacle, you know, the says well i'd rather have my kid die than giving up the wireless connection you know that's basically so it comes down to that
0: yeah just the inability to believe that is i mean he they i i don't believe they're consciously making that choice they just don't suspect that it's true and they're not going to be bothered yeah yeah
1: but that's going to be up to you as an educator to mm-hmm. get that point across. And I know you will, you will manage. It's that's nobody amazing. else has really, has managed to, to get the point. No, across. Well,
0: to, the, the challenge is quite substantial, largely as a result of the telecommunications industry, which is far more powerful than big pharma and big food combined, which you know is not really yeah. fully appreciated. So they've controlled these federal regulatory agencies, the scientists, the media, yeah, and uh, you know, it's a real, it's a real effective strategy. There was this book uh, uh, that reviewed it and I forgot the name of the book, but it was an old book. It was out about seven, eight years ago. They actually have a movie on, on Amazon Prime where they reviewed the tobacco strategies and the same ones that uh, is a telecommunications service mm. essentially oh, merchandising doubt or creating doubt I think is, is in the title. Mm. So essentially that's the first step is to create doubt in people's mind. Yeah. So, you know and they were able to do that with the cigarette co- tobacco companies for like 30 years after this. After the U.S. federal regulatory authorities, the CDC and the FDA both pronounced that c- cigarette smoking causes cancer, they still went on for another 30 years and created doubt.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. here,
0: those RGCs are, aren't admitting that they're yeah. in complete alliance with the industry.
1: It's a false information that's seeded on you know, thousands of websites and, and things, there's a lot of effort goes into that.
0: Yeah, yeah, so, so I, I wanna thank you for your time. I know you gotta get back to seeing patients and uh, sharing with us all your, your uh, not all, but a, a, a really helpful wisdom that you've acquired from decades of treating very sick patients. So if someone um, wanted more information, uh, there's two groups, it would be one as a patient, the other as professionals what what would were the what would you recommend as a choice the Klinghart Institute or the Sophia clinic
1: what, are you yeah, uh, Klinghart Institute is sort of my intellectual mm, website, and Sophia Health Institute is where I treat people uh, Let me say one more last thing joe so the the combined effect of the the toxicity and the wi fi has unleashed these Viruses, you know, they're called human endogenous retroviruses, and that is really ultimately what's causing uh, the severity of chronic illness. And so, I just wanted to to get that in you at the end. So, when you when you mitigate all those influences, at the very end, you still have to silence the retroviruses, and that's it's not difficult, but it's it's sort of what, do you, a, what,
0: what do you like for that? I think Judy has me- mentioned one of these. Um, anti-malarial drugs, not the one you mentioned earlier, but a different one.
1: Yeah, there, there is, well, there is several uh, several approaches. You know, plants have been exposed to the same viruses and they have developed uh, 350 million years longer than what we have had time, uh, plant adaptogens against it. And so we, um, I created an herbal mix, it's called Retro-V Powder, um, that has uh, 10 herbs in it that's published that are Superior to the AIDS drugs and silencing the, the retroviruses. That's a key science. KI science makes that. And then, you know, the Cistus tea is published, the powerful tool against retroviruses. And then the broccoli sprouts, you know, so that those are the three major things. And then once in a while, for a few months, we use Truvada or one of the other antiretroviral medical drugs. Um, but there is, you know, there's amazing, you know, uh, chloroquine. Um, There's some antibiotics that have retroviral effects. There's a whole host, but by focusing on that, uh, somewhere along the treatment of chronic illness has uh, allowed us big breakthroughs and, and a lot of people where we were stuck. And I do get stuck with patients also, you know, like we get a hard selection. We The average uh, patient that we see has seen 32 other physicians before us, and so, um, Sometimes it takes a while to crack it, and that's certainly how I'm learning, and that's how I discovered the value of Judy mikovic's teaching. You know, she is definitely, uh, maybe you know, the most important person. The other thing, you know, so sort of that just to to round that off, um, is increasingly in the literature is the, the recognition that many illnesses are caused by prions, you know, self-folding mm-hmm. proteins. That's ALS and Mm -hmm. Parkinson's, you know? And so, and there's some wonderful, simple treatments that are published. I'm not gonna go into that now, but it's uh, those two two steps, attending to the retroviruses and attending to the prions has given us the biggest breakthrough, you know, in probably 10 or 15 years, you know, since discovering the importance of Lyme, you know, we harped on that for a long time, but now we're off to a whole other field. (laughs)
0: Sure, retrovirology yeah molecular biology which is always yeah well I want to express my deep uh, gratitude for all the work you've been doing and have done and will continue to do and for helping so many people understand some of these foundational basics that can help them recover their health which is really the most precious commodity
1: thank you joe good seeing you good talking to you